This week, I've partnered with McCulloch and Wallace, which has been around since 1902, selling haberdashery and fabrics to the fashion trade, and more recently, retail customers along with the theatre and film industries. Still in London, Soho, they are one of a handful of independent merchants still hanging in there. With lockdown and the proliferation of home crafting, there has been a welcome upsurge in interest in knitting, crochet and dressmaking to while away the isolated hours and soothe troubled minds. To see their products, head to www.mcculloch-wallace.co.uk. My name is Yomi Adegoke and my biggest fear is peaking too soon. Hello and welcome to Fear Itself with me, Cressida Bonus. In this podcast, I'll be asking people from all walks of life about fear, how it limits them, how it motivates them, how they face it, and what you can learn about yourself and the world around you from your fear. My guest this week is Yomi Adegoke. She is a multi-award winning journalist who is currently the woman's columnist at The Guardian and The Eye Paper. She is also co-author of the best-selling book Slay in Your Lane, The Black Girl Bible, and the co-curator of the anthology Loud Black Girls. Hello, Yomi. Hi, Cressida. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I read your book Slay in Your Lane and I absolutely loved it. Thank you. Oh, I really appreciate it. I'm sure Elizabeth will appreciate that too. Thank you. And Elizabeth, yeah. Um, how are you? How are you at the moment? And how are you navigating these very strange and uncertain times? I'm doing what we're all doing essentially, which is just my very best. Um, I'm not sure how um well I have actually been doing, but I'm I'm trying. It's been very um draining. I've been I'm super tired all the time, and it's just you know amazing to see how tired you can get from fundamentally doing nothing because there was a big sort of block of time where I quite literally wasn't doing anything other than sort of watching TV and being horizontal. But then that just tied me out just by virtue of like stressing about things, thinking about things, overthinking things. Um, So yeah, I've I've had this sort of low level um, and sometimes quite high level like anxiousness just as a default state. Um, But all that being said, which sounds really negative, I do think that, you know, the past few days, at least, I've kind of like been managing my like an- anxiousness um, mm. slightly better. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been up and down, um, but I'm alive. I think that's yeah. what I just keep saying at the end of everything. I'm here. So, you know, things could be worse. Yeah. And some writers and artists, they've said that this time has really inspired them creatively and I know you're a writer who really looks for and wants to find the truth and you can really see that when you read Slay in Your Lane. Has this time inspired you creatively, do you feel? You know what? Yes, but not necessarily in the writing sense. I mean, it did a little bit at the beginning. Um, I mainly write nonfiction and op-eds and polemics um but then I started sort of experimenting with fiction because I just I just had so much time on my hands that I sort of thought oh okay let me sort of you know have a look at doing something that's slightly different a little bit outside of my comfort zone especially given how outside of my comfort zone I am in general life with a whole like pandemic sort of unfolding and like lockdown but then um I kind of popped that and then got back into um art which is something that 
like I guess kind of my first love in a creative sense I've always kind of identified more as a artist than I have as a writer because that's something that came to me quite late I only really started taking writing seriously at saying university um but art is something that I always really enjoyed so I started um painting again which I hadn't really done god for like a near decade I started sculpting because I'd always been curious about how similar sculpting was um, as a process to painting and you know with art and like drawing and stuff it's just something that um at least for me I could just do I was just born able to do it and I kind of was interested in if that would translate into sculpture because it's obviously a very different medium Mm. and yeah it did and it was really interesting because I was like you know I sort of got some tools and you know ordered some stuff off of Amazon and had an old sort of like I don't know how you describe like a wig head like a head that I used to put like wigs on (laughs) started like sculpting like doing a sort of self-portrait like or bust of myself on on it and yeah found out that I could sculpt which was cool because it's just like it's just kind of like painting but in 3D um so yeah that that was that I definitely was inspired yeah yeah Um, my sister's actually a sculptor and she oh wow um, yeah when she she does it when I go into a studio and watch her it's sort of like she goes into this whole other world where all her worries and anxieties are put aside because she's so focused on this this piece of art that she's doing and it's really amazing to see and I guess it's the same really with with, with all all art when you're really passionate about something and and focused yeah um, absolutely all, seems quite um meditative absolutely I think that's why I kind of stepped away from non-fiction writing actually because with fiction, I was able to explore like a world where there wasn't a pandemic and there wasn't all these like, I mean, there were things to worry about, but they weren't, you know, my things to worry about. And then even that started to get slightly too close to home. So then I, with art, I mean, goodness, like art is definitely, it's like, it's just so therapeutic. It really is just like, I don't really know. How to, I mean, I'm, I guess art's not something that I speak about to many people because I don't have that many um, people in my life that um, paint or do art, but I try not I, I try not to speak about it too much because I kind of end up going in this kind of like state of just like trance because it's like you're just with art I don't particularly like to like have people watch me paint or or, or sculpt or anything because it really does take me to my own world it's kind of like just this really transportative you know you're just on a, in a completely different world and it's like with my art I don't sell it I don't do anything with it except gift it or put it on my wall um so I guess it's the the process of doing something just because you want to is really Mm. nice as well. And with when I'm writing like articles, obviously I have to reach deadlines because I'm being paid, but also it's like I'm often writing about things that upset me or bother me. Whereas with art, it's just like it just lives, exists in this completely different plane of my life where it's just pure enjoyment. And and with writing and actually and and art really as well but sometimes I'm obviously not a professional writer but I do really love to write when I can you know journals or just a stream of consciousness in the morning that normally just makes absolute no sense but it's a kind of way for me of finding answers to my sometimes quite chaotic thoughts Mm. how did you find your love for writing Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess I always liked writing. Um, I always enjoyed, um, yeah, I always enjoyed storytelling, whether it was like, you know, literally just reeling off anecdotes really loudly to my friends or 
um, writing, like, yeah, just like relaying information that I thought mattered to me and I wanted other people to kind of know about or just express myself. Um, So I I was always interested in like communication and writing. Um, But it was very much like, I just, it was just subject at school. I never wrote um, recreationally. Like it was very much okay, I've got an English lesson and today we're doing this and I can write this. And I I know I was always good at essays, but it wasn't something, again, that I did very much in my spare time. I never kept a journal. I never kept a diary. Um, I did used to write fiction stories sometimes when I was younger, but it was because my dad, my dad downloaded this software called Storybook Weaver, where it like made it really easy for you as kids to like write and illustrate stories. And um, so I kind of saw it as a game. And again, that was the only time I ever did it recreationally. But growing up, it wasn't something that I... I, I definitely liked it, but within a, in the same way, some people really like, you know, physics at school, but then it's not something they're doing in their spare time. And that's how I saw um, writing. Whereas with art, it was very much, I'd come home and draw um, mm. and very much enjoyed it in that way. So I think I kind of realized that it was something that I could do in a hobby sense. And then later on as work when I was at university, because um, we had this paper at Warwick called um, The Ball and it, lots there were lots of things on campus I mean Warwick was very much like his own world it had like the nickname the bubble and it was very much like his own place and there was a period where like I I don't know why but you know for some reason with the local buses you couldn't if you pay if you didn't pay the exact amount to get on the bus they wouldn't give you change it was something something really ludicrous like that and I remember just being really it's like such a minor problem now in the grand scheme of what's going on in life but I remember at the time being like really intense about it and being like this is really unfair and like having this you know I've always been someone that's really like big on justice and fairness and stuff like that and I had a really big issue with it and I remember sort of wanting to you know kind of get on a soapbox about it and complain but not really wanting it to go beyond my friends because I felt like that everyone was kind of like okay well you've you've said your piece now like we know you're annoyed about this we're all annoyed about this but like that's it and I really was just like I want to like express why this is a ludicrous policy but I want it to go wider than my immediate circle and then someone was like oh why don't you write for the ball you know it's it's the the university paper I'd never crossed my mind before that um and then yeah I just wrote like a really short piece basically complaining about the fact that we didn't get change on the the bus at um, uni and was sort of complaining about the fact that for students that are cash strapped anyway it was just like every penny counts and blah, blah 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 and um yeah I remember writing that and just being on a complete high because I was like oh I've been able to like express myself and you know it wasn't like I got paid or anything I just it just felt good to be able to air my thoughts and then yeah I started contributing a little bit more regularly um I started a blog obviously I kind of made the transition to it being a um a job but before that it was yeah it was just something that I did very much to kind of express myself and um speak about issues that I thought were important what a what a wonderful quality to have, you know. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, is that you, you know, you dig for the truth, and you know how how great is that that you have that? I think. Thank you. <laughs> um, and Yomi, I'd love to actually talk about your university days because I know you were at Warwick, and I think it's just really relevant now because students will be in their first term of uni, and I remember my I went to Leeds, and I remember you know that first. Well, my first time is incredibly overwhelming and mm. you just don't know where you belong or, you know, where you fit in. And you didn't like it at first, did you? You're at Warwick. 
No, I didn't particularly. Um, I didn't like it to be honest before I'd even um <laughs> before I'd even sort of um got there. Um, I'm from Croydon and it's a very diverse borough and um not just diverse ethnically, but just in terms of class. I mean, it's a really big borough. So, you know, you have areas like Purley, which has like a millionaire's road, but there's also like um, you know, Croydon, like where I live, like West Croydon and like Thornheath, and it's just like a very diverse borough. So I was really concerned because I just felt like, you know, I'd, I'd gone to a school which was predominantly white in Purley, but I still had, you know, friendship groups that were of diverse backgrounds and just different types of people. Um, in fact, my school, because of the catchment area, was very diverse in terms of, um, it wasn't massively ethnically diverse, but you just got lots of different types of people um, because of how big the catchment area was. So I was concerned that, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly confident that I'm going to fit in. Um, I'm not from the same background as many of the people that will be attending. And I just felt nervous. And when I got there, it's, you know, it was interesting because whilst my, you know, fears, I guess, were kind of realised in terms of the fact that I, I was part of a very small minority of black students and students that hadn't gone to private school and students from a particular class background. Um, it was, it was, even though that, that was the case, as time went on, I definitely found my tribe. And I think that's one of the biggest things with university is that you will always find your tribe. And um, finding your tribe isn't always necessarily about being with people that are exactly like you. It's often, you know, you meet people, like I met some of the most interesting people um, of my life, like at university. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just sometimes understanding that, you know, it is going to be a very different environment and it definitely takes some adjusting, but things, it's really annoying because when you say, oh, you know, things will fall into place. Don't worry. It's like, it's very easy to say that, you know, but it really is just the case. It feels so life and death at the time. And it feels like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm never going to kind of like settle in or find anybody. But, you know, I have friends that didn't necessarily feel like they fit, fit in at um, Warwick and they made friends with people that, um, that um, went to the University of Coventry, which was nearby. They made friends with locals on nights out. Like there's, all, you're never gonna be as isolated as you think you are. And it's just about, I guess, being able to adapt. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not, I didn't love it when I first got there. And I definitely had some experiences that were like difficult, but despite the kind of difficulties that I faced in initially, I definitely got there in the end because I know you took a year out because you were struggling with depression and did did your experience from uni did that sort of trigger that year or was that something separate um I don't think I'd ever experienced it before to be honest I think that's why I was quite confused because I felt like I've never actually experienced depression before and I didn't feel like now I understand that's not how depression works but I didn't feel like I had a reason to be um depressed mm. so um I, I I guess I was it, it kind of hit me um in a way that I wasn't really prepared for because I felt that normally if you're going to be depressed there's got to be a very obvious tangible reason but I guess what in, in hindsight what I've realized is that um despite the fact that I was coping quite well at university um I there definitely was still a feeling of isolation and again that that came not just I think from being um from a different background to many of the people that went to Warwick but there was just a lot going on in terms of like identity in terms of fitting in in terms of like and then on top of all of that you've got workload you've got trying to keep up with the like expenses of university all of that 
I mean, I guess I would, there were certain things I would change because I think, yeah, it would have definitely made my experience easier um, and just more enjoyable. But I would still go back. I think it's a, a excellent institution and I learned a lot and I made some amazing lifelong friends. What was the thing that frightened you the most in this time? Um, I think I was very afraid of failing my degree, essentially, because alongside all the kind of just general stuff that students go through and all of that, I wasn't particularly serious about my work initially. I think I didn't realise how big the jump between A-level and degree level would be, like university level. I I was very used to coasting throughout secondary school and just kind of getting by, by like, you know, almost gaming the system and knowing what needed to be said to achieve certain grades and like, you know, English or in history or whatever and cramming. And I kind of did that at college as well. And I assumed it'd be the same um, at university level, but it wasn't, <laughs> not with law. So I, um, yeah, I wanted to go out and I wanted to drink and I wanted to have a good time like any other fresher. And I guess, yeah, as as time went on, I kind of realised, oh, okay, shit, you can't really do that with law. <laughs> not, not, especially not if you have no kind of, I hadn't studied it at A level, it was all brand new to me. Um, so yeah, as time went on, I, you know, I remember getting, I think like, predicted like a third or something insane in my first year and was like okay this is not exactly how I thought this was going to go um and then obviously I as I mentioned like was becoming more and more depressed for general reasons and I was like well then I have absolutely no chance of getting a 2-1 so um when I left I wasn't even sure if I was going to come back because I was just like I don't think I'm going to get the grades that I want and um, in the end, I did manage to get a 2-1, but it was something that I didn't feel for the first time ever, like guaranteed. I was very afraid that I wouldn't get the grades that um, I'd gone there to get. And um, yeah, it's actually quite interesting because when you look at the data in terms of like black students, it's actually very common that black students will get grades that are needed to get to um, a particular institution, but the retention rates are quite low. So like the case of me, like, leaving university isn't particularly um like um unique um I think I think you're more likely as a black student to leave um university and not make it to the end if you are attending a university outside of London and I think that's because potentially London's more diverse but then also Mm -hmm. the case of black students going in and getting the grades to go to like um specific institutions but they're not leaving with the grades that they expect like a 2-1 or a first or whatever is actually quite common as well because I think alongside all the other issues that you know everyone experiences as a student there is the extra baggage of like trying to feel at home and navigate those spaces. That's really interesting and and in that in that year out when you went through that time how did you come back from that? It was it was interesting I mean I didn't really know it was depression at first. So I kind of just remember watching a lot of like binging a lot of American Dad, actually. I don't know why that was like my go-to cartoon, but I'd like I was binging that. a lot. Yeah, I was binging a lot of it. Um, and just watching a lot of crap and eating a lot, but just also like bedbound and just found it really difficult to like attend classes I was already failing. So it was it was very difficult. And you know, I've told this story a million times, but <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. But the reason I actually ended up leaving was because a, a capture me- I mean it's in the book it's a, a, a capture message where um I was you know one day trying to watch Shutter Island on um some illegal website and it wasn't loading and um I was like refreshing it and 
the capture messages that come up and then all these like random words that you have to then like fit like type in to prove you're not a robot or whatever or however it goes um one time when i was trying to watch our island it it come up with um this too shall pass or so which i found ludicrous because this too shall pass was like a phrase that my dad used to say a lot i think it's based on this like fable about a a king who asks somebody to find him a ring that would make him happy when he's sad and sad when he's happy or something like that i'm I'm paraphrasing the story terribly but the person who wins his challenge whatever comes back to him with a ring that says this too shall pass and my dad was basically always telling me that you know when you're feeling amazing you've got to remember that that isn't a permanent state and when you feel when you're really struggling you've got to remember that it's not a permanent state and I remember just being sat there like at university with all this like food around me um and you know trying to watch Shutter Island surrounded by junk food and this message just like popping up on my computer screen and it really just speaking to me which sounds completely insane but seriously that was that was what happened I kind of remember seeing it and feeling immediately really comforted and feeling like okay maybe I should go home because like it was like my dad like speaking to me through my laptop and I was like okay I think I'm gonna go home so I went home and that I guess like is when I started like writing more and you know throwing myself into I started a magazine called birthday which was basically aimed at young black girls been given sort of money by O2 Think Big and a charity called Binspire to help me like start this launch this publication in South London and I did that during that year out so I think honestly it was very much like finding like the thing I wanted to do because meanwhile whilst all this was happening you know Warwick very much especially I guess the ACS like students you know there's a real culture of like you know you study law to be a lawyer you you know you you go on to be like a corporate person or like a business person and that's kind of the the definition of success in you know at Warwick and especially within like the um, black community at Warwick so I I knew I wasn't particularly good at that kind of stuff and was really flunking law so I was panicking about what I was going to do so I think being able to find um what it was I was good at in terms of like a career finding something that I was good at and that I really um liked and took kind of took me out of my immediate circumstances was a big help and talking about things that you are really good at I mean Slay in Your Lane is you know has just been received so you know amazingly and I find it really interesting because it's almost like you you were finding your voice and then you went on to write this book which is really helping other young black British women to find their voices um mm. and if and and also in reading it it's almost like there's like was like a real fire in your tummy when you when when you wrote it correct me by the way if I'm if I'm wrong this is just my my sort of instinct no, I no definitely. It. um and was there like a sort of moment when you and your co-writer Elizabeth decided to write it you know was there like a sort of when you thought right this needs to be done yeah, I, I remember Elizabeth called me because we always used to have these like post-university when we were in our first jobs, we used to have these like lunchtime powwows where we'd kind of just talk about, you know, what was bothering us at work. And, you know, it was kind of like, for lack of a better phrase, like same shit, different toilet, like in terms of our workplaces, because she worked in the city in Canary Wolf. And I worked at, you know, in um, a media like organization, a news organization. And um, you know, there were very different industries, but we were still experiencing like the same kind of like microaggressions and sidelining and um, stuff like that. And we'd complain about it. And 
she just kind of said one day like oh you know I know that you're really interesting interested in writing like a um in in writing a book so would you like be interested in writing this book that I've had an idea for which you know she was like I really really want to be able to read something that like advises me on how to navigate the workplace as a black woman because she'd been reading all these books like Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg and like Thrive by Ariana Huffington and um, Girl Boss by Sophia Maruso and she was like these are all great but they don't really speak to me as a black woman specifically it'd be amazing to have something that did um would you want to write that book and I was like that's an amazing idea but like I don't have any of the answers which is why I call you every day to like complain about things so I was kind of like maybe we could write it together and and that was literally it it was very much like we would say the child of like exasperation and optimism because we felt like you know we were seeing all these black women do these amazing things and, you know, you kind of had to go and like hear about it at events or listen to podcasts. And it was kind of like, where is a one, like a one-stop shop for, you know, for black women to kind of um, just talk about these things and kind of, you know, be advised and get that really practical, as practical as it can get, to be honest, because like, realistically speaking, I always say you can't slay your way out of systemic racism. Like, you there are there are limitations that, you know, are placed in terms of, how much you can just pull your bootstraps up and go for it but there are definitely things that can be done in terms of just at least just even arming yourself with knowledge as a step just knowing that these systems um exist um is, is a step so yeah that that's pretty much how it came about and I also want to know about the phrase slay in your lane because it's very cool you know it's a kind of riff on the phrase stay in your lane which is obviously all about kind of like you know you know, just kind of saying to somebody like, you know, don't get too too big for your boots. Like, you know, cut your cloth according to your size. Like, don't don't like get above your station. And like, we're talking about like, you know, slaying within and outside of those like parameters that are mm. set by society in terms of like what society thinks you can do. Um, and yeah, like because there are those limitations and there are those ideas of what you can do, but it doesn't mean that like you have to kind of like. Um, you know, live within them. It's about trying to like, I guess, yeah, define success and stuff on your own terms. And I want to go on to your, uh, this now, this fear of peaking too soon, which to me is so, I, I not crazy because I never want to, you know, it's, it's a fear, but you're doing yeah. so well. And it's just <laughs> Thank seems you. like you just like continue to go from strength to strength. Um, do you think the kind of early success has a kind of part to play in this fear of peaking too soon? Yeah, definitely. I'm young. I've realized this recently that I'm younger than people think I am. I'm I'm 28 and often people will talk about me in a way as if I'm like a lot older than I am, slaying your lane. And the idea came about, it was in 2015 and I was 23 at the time. I guess when people find out that I'm younger, it's very much made into a thing as if it's like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I don't know, like as if it's almost like it's made more important or more something because I'm young, which then always makes me feel like, gosh, what, what is the expectation then on me when I'm, when I do hit 30 and when I am over 30 and when it's like, I'm 10 years when I'm 38, like I'm very much going at my own pace and people never believe me when I say it, but I'm not actually a massively ambitious person. Like, I think I've just found something that I'm good at and really lent into it, but it's not, like I'm someone who's like, you know, fixed on world domination by any means. So I've always kind of wanted to take my time out and like do what I want to do according to my own kind of 
time. And I think, I think the kind of pressure comes from people being like, oh, wow, this is really incredible because you're younger than I thought you were. And then me kind of thinking, gosh, does this mean that I've peaked too soon and I'm this, a wonder kind. I've probably said, wait, wonder, I think it is wonder kind, where it's like, oh, you're this young person that's doing all this cool stuff. And it's like, not as cool when you're like, slightly older and I'm like I mean I have this really glamorous gran who is so glamorous she doesn't let me call her um gran I have to call her nana because she's like gran makes her feel old so she's like really amazing and fabulous and like travels all the time and looks amazing and like I've always had this kind of reverence for older people because of her so I see it very much as like I kind of want to get my 20s out of the way my 30s and really kind of have like my second wind and like really thrive when I'm like 40 plus but I feel like there's all because of all this age stuff it's like there's an extra kind of je ne sais quoi added to the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm younger which makes me feel like oh is it not going to be as important when when I'm older I don't know but yeah sometimes I think I don't want it to be that like by the time I hit a particular point it's it's not relevant anymore does it come from the fact that you've created something quite massive that there's now this pressure that you have to create something even bigger yeah I think it's that like I'm as I said I'm very I'm not massively um ambitious in terms of like I don't really feel like oh my god I've got to do this before this time or anything like that I mean I can't even drive so I'm like I'm not huge like I don't really believe in milestones in terms of I have to have done this by this point like at all um and pre-slaying your lane I was very happy with where I was and I was very much like yeah I'm going at my own pace and stuff so I feel like it's just what's the, the question of what's next and like what do you know what do you do to have to like constantly trump yourself it's not really one that I particularly, I don't know, it's not a race I particularly want to run because I've said a million I had to like take five years off um, for whatever reason, God forbid. Like I would I would still be very like happy in where, where I was coming back to, I feel, because I feel like I've done a lot of stuff. So I don't feel like I have to, I don't know if it makes sense, but I don't feel like I, I don't feel like in myself a pressure to achieve like just for the sake of achieving I feel like everything I'm trying to do is stuff that I really want to do and I don't want to have a pressure to feel like oh my gosh I must do like what is the next big thing just to kind of I don't know prove that I'm still on an upward trajectory I I don't mind platooing like I'm not I'm not completely against it um Mm. so yeah but I think that externally because of how other people discuss things it makes me think oh maybe I should maybe I maybe like I'm not paying attention and if I'm not careful I will peak too soon it'll be like oh she was doing this amazing stuff when she was 28 and then you know she just kind of like for lack of a better phrase fell off which is always the the concern yeah do you think that success and anxiety often do go hand in hand someone said the other day or people can be actually quite afraid of success it's like kind of like, you know, more money, more problems, more success, more, I mean, I don't know how true that is, but like more success, more problems and stuff. But yeah, like I definitely think it comes with its own like baggage for sure, because I don't know, it just feels like you're constantly having to think about the next thing. And I just, uh, yeah, like I think, um, and also there's a, I think, I don't know for a lot of people especially like if you are a minority whether that's racially gender like you know sexuality whatever it makes you there's there's often a scarcity mindset especially if you're not if you don't feel like you're used to seeing lots of people in a particular space or doing particular things then you kind of think god is there like a timeline on this is this going to run out you know how long is it going to be before um obviously with imposter syndrome how long is it going to be before i'm found out to be a fraud but then also like okay, there's a diversity boom or whatever. Is that, you know, is is there a time like limit on how long 
I have to be in this space or like to occupy this space. So yeah, I think um, there are lots of anxieties around success. And I think it's why in my mind anyway, it's really important to kind of define it on your own times, to be honest, because to me, I don't know, it looks like lots of different things, but primarily it looks like being happy, which sounds like a cop out, but in reality, like, yeah, I think to me, it's very much like, I know that my definition of success probably doesn't match lots of other people's because truly it's not I don't know I just think there's no point doing loads of stuff if it's like making you miserable in the process which is why as I said when I was at university I knew that I probably wouldn't be as as successful with my as my peers potentially if I didn't go and study law if I didn't go down a corporate route but I did it anyway because I just wanted to be happy essentially which and genuinely that trajectory is why I'm doing what I'm doing now um I've just followed stuff that I think makes me happy but I think yeah sometimes I think oh gosh perhaps I should be a bit more savvy and think a bit more kind of like I don't know business in a business sense or in a corporate sense about like success and stuff but then I wouldn't I don't know I don't think I'd enjoy what I'm doing as much yeah I mean sometimes people say that if they're working in a company or um you know have a job and if and and they and they peak it means that they feel it's because they have outgrown that job and do you I mean I'm guessing you don't because I feel like you really love what you're doing but has there ever been a bit of time when you felt like oh I am slightly outgrowing this Um, that's a good question I don't think so I think there's certain things like there's definitely been positions that I wouldn't even necessarily say I'd outgrown I don't think to me it's like most millennials I haven't really been in spaces like jobs for long enough to outgrow them like I've often I think my longest job was two and a half years um but there have been definitely positions where I haven't actually feasibly been able to do it because of other things that are happening in my life that then I mean in another kind of context I wouldn't have outgrown it it's just more I mean I guess you could define it as out having outgrown something but it was more than me just not like like me feeling like you know like this is the time for me to move on because like I'm on to bigger and better stuff it's honestly always been more like I'm you know I was writing Slain Your Lane at the same time as working at Channel 4 News as a um, online producer um the book came out at the same time I was working at the pool as a senior writer and like I just physically couldn't do them all at the same time so on both occasions I had to leave but I don't think I was really I've never really been anywhere long enough to like truly like outgrow something I don't think but often what happens is life like pulls me in another direction and I'm just like okay I want to be able to give whatever I'm doing my all so I'm going to um give this some space you know what I mean and like and actually like leave so I can do what I want to do somewhere else um in a way that means I'm like giving it 100%. How does someone switch from the attitude of peaking too early to building momentum, do you think? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like, honestly, it's kind of about, I in my mind anyway, redefining what you what you believe to be success and why, and what, what peaking too early actually means. Because I'm kind of like, what would that mean for me? Why, why am I afraid of, peaking too early what do I think that means that essentially I go forward and like a lot of the most amazing stuff that I do is now like and 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 you know I don't do anything amazing like in the future well if I decide that you know I want to like 
buy a house in the country and like you know I don't know like just you know become a farmer's wife or something and decide that that's my new life like and I'm happy I don't see that that's that's wouldn't make what I've been doing before peaking too early if that makes sense it's like it's just a different thing and I think it's like that's why I said I'd like to put happiness at the kind of forefront in terms of my definition of success because I don't know I, I I'm not as I said I'm not somebody who's like as kind of I don't like the idea of the rat race and I'm I'm really lazy so I'm often very tired and I'm like I can imagine that I will do stuff that's probably quite drastically different in the future and like mm. slightly less like um you know full-on and like it might be different yeah sure but I think just understanding why we define success in the way we do and what we consider like falling off when people kind of like oh yeah this person's you know not as amazing as they once were or they're not as relevant I don't know what does I don't know just really trying to interrogate what that means for me I think is how you you know because if somebody to me like reaches their peak it's kind of like a game you're playing a video game or whatever you like win it in the end you, you you're supposed to start another game like do you know what I mean if if I do peak and like oh my god I've like completely bossed you know journalism like and as a as a game and it's like I've won it I've, I've completed every level then that to me isn't peaking news too soon it's very much okay I did that and that's amazing I can go and do something else or I or I, I can just continue at that level that I've like you know done so well at or whatever um it, until I decide to leave the profession or whatever I just think we just have to kind of recalibrate like why we think what, yeah. we, what we consider success and all that kind of stuff do you have advice for advice for young writers because I do think perhaps it's hard for young writers to find a voice because there's so much noise in the media mm-hmm. for someone to find their sort of like niche thing which you really have done in terms of advice I would honestly just say that I always say authenticity over everything like you know especially in the journalistic space um, there's a real culture of having to um, respond to things immediately and yeah like like just immediately have an opinion on something which means that we get lots of regurgitated articles that are just all stating the exact same thing and I think um, for me anyway learning to just take time to sit with my thoughts and not allow my thoughts to be shaped by the masses and like allow like social media to completely kind of dictate which way I'm going to sway with something has meant that my own voice has really come through and I know what I think and just making sure that I'm able to kind of like you know whilst obviously being open to learning and engaging with other opinions and viewpoints Mm -hmm. I think it's just very important to basically drown out the noise and try and lean into what it is you think because with social media it's harder to do that than than ever. I'd love you to answer these three questions. Number one is what is the place you go to when you're feeling fearful and that could be in your imagination or a literal place? I'm very glad you said it doesn't um it doesn't have to be a little place because I was sitting there thinking god where do I physically go but I think in terms of where I go it tends to be um my whatsapp groups actually with my friends um so anytime I'm having I've got several (laughs) several um they all kind of work as their own little um therapy um sessions to be honest and dependent on what fear I'm having to be honest um I have a whatsapp group that's I mean not specifically tailored to that but then also kind of doubles up um as being a place that I can go to where I'm when when I'm afraid so for instance I have 
a WhatsApp group with some very close friends that are in um, the television and podcasting industries. I don't have that. I don't actually have that many friends within my own industry, but I have these two really close friends that work in um, podcasting and TV. And we, when we're sort of having career wobbles or like having issues in our um, respective industries, then we kind of all have like a massive talk about it in there. And then I've got my WhatsApp group with my sisters and another one with my best friends. And often when, yeah, dependent on what those fears are, I tend to kind of um, just take some time in those spaces to just speak it through because often like I can really get into my head and um, blow things out of proportion and make them uh, just a lot bigger than they are in actuality. And um, those spaces, my friends and um, especially in whatsapp groups and um, where we're all just kind of like um just talking about whatever we're going through uh, yeah. i think they definitely help provide some perspective which is amazing nice yeah i definitely definitely can relate to that and what is the song or piece of music that you would go to what i do tend to listen to when i'm feeling i guess down generally or like feeling like not myself generally is I have a I have a RuPaul's um, Drag Race playlist which just I, I tend to exercise to but also listen to when I'm like in need of like a massive kind of like um um boost or morale boost but um in terms of when I'm scared though I, I don't I honestly couldn't I couldn't say because I feel like when I'm scared when I'm feeling fearful about something and getting in my head um I tend to just talk it through I need to be talked um, away from the ledge, essentially. And I, I struggle to do it on my own. So uh, my first point, of course, was to speak to somebody. Mm. And what would you do if you were not afraid? Gosh. I know, big question here. It's a huge question. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I feel like I would do... You know what? Honestly, I think... I would be doing pretty much everything I'm doing now because I'm afraid all the time. And I feel like I have low level anxiety on best my best days and then high level anxiety on pretty much every other day. And I still feel like, I do feel that like I push through my fears quite well with the help of amazing family, amazing friends, and just great people in my life. So honestly, I feel like if I wasn't fear fearful, I'd probably be doing what I'm doing now, which is everything that I want to do and everything that I feel like I should be doing because um, despite those fears of which there are many, I definitely um, try to um, do what I can. And, and, and I don't ever kind of shy away from the fact that I'm fearful whilst doing them. I, I very much, you know, I did... I'm, I'm venturing into TV. Like I started, um, I'm writing and producing a documentary for Channel 4 and it's been like a very difficult experience. And, you know, I felt fearful throughout the majority of the um, process, but I'm still doing it. Um, and I, and you know, I, I, I think um, many things I've done over the past few months have been out, well out of my comfort zone. So mm. I think, yeah, I'd be doing what I'm doing now, essentially. Um, and I'd probably be doing it more comfortably, but I'd still be doing it, if that makes sense. Fantastic. Thank you, Yomi, so, so much. Thank you so much, Christopher. Thank you so much for listening to Fear Itself, and I hope it was as interesting and as useful to you as it was for me. It would mean the world to me if you could rate and subscribe and maybe even share it with a friend so that other people can hear about us. 
Join me next week where I will be speaking to another wonderfully inspiring guest. Until then, take care.